This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Welcome to this week's episode of CB Spotlight. We are bringing you the Regional Director of the South for the NDA, which stands for... The National Deer Association. National Deer Association. I always want to say Alliance. Oh, uh, there was the <laughs> National Deer Alliance, yeah. and there was the QDMA, and they combined, and they combined them. Yes. So. so this is what used to be the QDMA, National Deer Alliance, and we are joined with special guest Rick Counts. Mm-hmm. And it's a good conversation. It goes pretty deep in the weeds if you like the deer stuff. Yep. Lots of good stuff on conservation, deer management, uh, some of the programs that they do and offer, and uh, some fascinating programs. Yeah, I think you'll about. yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. So, without further ado, enjoy. No, no, we have to. We're here with one, two, three. Rick counts. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Rick counts. The you said regional regional director for South. For the South, for the National Deer Association, correct? And for those that don't know what the National Deer Association is, you do know, but you know by another name. Of the Quality Deer Management Association. Correct. The QDMA. That's right. And you guys decided to do a little rebrand right in the middle of COVID. Yeah, it was a uh, kind of a combination of things. I don't know where to start best, but uh, many years ago, probably... I don't know, four to five years ago, CDMA started the National Deer Alliance. Okay. And the National Deer Alliance was a part of the Quality Deer Management Association. I didn't know that. I thought they were separate. Yep. They actually, it's sort of like GMC and Chevrolet or Ford and Lincoln. It's kind of the same combination. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Many years ago, they had a whitetail summit in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And during that summit, they said, we need somebody that can be in Washington that can help for the whitetail as far as advocacy and that kind of stuff. So we started a 501c4, which QDMA was 501c3. And we're able to do some advocacy, but having the NDA as 501c4, it gave us more leverage. So that's why they started it. So once it was started, uh, you know, they ran with their program and we were doing our program. And then, like you said, COVID 
kind of hit and a lot of the funds and so forth that we generated were from banquets and that kind of shut everything down. Yep. So basically we were two organizations that were doing the same thing on opposite ends of the spectrum and it just came to the point where we're like, hey, our best option here is to just merge back together and then change the name to the National Deer Association. And that's one of the main things as we're here at Seaweed this weekend that I keep being asked is why did they change the name <laughs> or what's National Deer Association? Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how many people have asked me that as we've been in the tent. Sure. So, I bet it's a lot. It was, uh, I listened to a, a podcast with some, uh, some, some other folks from both organizations and they, they sort of, sort of walked through some of that. And one of the things they pointed out was that both organizations were related, but doing different things. Right. And by putting them back together, uh, each complemented each other's weaknesses, so to right. speak, and it just made a stronger, uh, stronger team to be able to to be that proponent for whitetail management and conservation and things like that. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, they they kind of changed the mission. Still, basically the same: ensure the future of whitetail deer. Well, not just whitetail deer, but all deer. And right. then wildlife habitat and our hunting, our hunting heritage and so forth. Yep. That's basically our same mission as we had in the past. But now with the National Deer Association, we can be more for mule deer, blacktail, sure. all types, sitkas, whatever type deer. We can be, you know, we're not going to try to take away from the mule deer and the uh, whitetails unlimited and all that. Sure. But we're trying to be a little more broader with our you know, area and what we can touch. Yeah, makes sense. So there's different chapters and uh, and all over much, the country. That's what I was going to say. Well, Is it well like I'll take that back. Yeah. We're state uh, from Texas, Oklahoma, all the way up straight. There's a, you know, out west, we don't have anything uh, because we've always been whitetail. Right. Yeah. But as we've started National Deer Association, there have been some interest. Like I've got some interest from Colorado and California and so forth from people. And I'm like, well, you want to get something started. You know, it's kind of, we don't have anything in that area. But if you'd like to be interested in starting, and maybe we're a volunteer organization sure. as far as branches. And we're called branches. And basically, I can give you a quick story on that as well. Uh, Joe Hamilton started the Quality Deer Management Association many years ago in South Carolina, in the low country of South Carolina. So he went to Australia, and they had a very similar organization over there for whitetail deer. So he brought it back, and one of the things that he brought back from that, that he wanted to start with this Quality Deer Management was branches. They call them branches in Australia Mm -hmm. instead of chapters. And what I try to tell my branches as we're starting as the antlers are branches off of each other. Sure. So we got like the main beam is the national organization and we got branches coming off of that. Right. For each state and so forth. So each volunteer organization is a branch off of the main beam. That's good. So that makes it a little bit easier for people to understand after you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, you know, most of the time when you start talking to people, they're like, chapter, chapter, chapter. And I'm like, well, yeah, but we're not really, even though it's technically the same thing. Sure. So what's the main focus for the South Carolina part of the DNA, the NDA? NDA? Uh, well, I actually 
our state president is next door. He's with the Low Country Branch, and we have a state branch or state chat uh, state local state advisory council is what it's called and then we have local branches like we have charleston greenville columbia and then we have a lot of like offshoots and a little smaller like greenwood chesterfield uh different parts of the country i mean all over the state really yeah i don't want to leave any of the branches out but <laughs> basically we have them you know all over the, the the state and and each of them does their own thing in their community. I mean, like Low Country Branch, just for like example, last weekend they had a tower shoot at a club right up the road called Chigger Grove Plantation. And I mean, it was a fundraiser, but it was also a chance for people to get together, you know, compro- uh, some camaraderie. And yeah. even they had some branch people, uh, volunteers that got to shoot. Cool. Just because they're rewarding their volunteers for the opportunity to help. Yeah. And they have a huge banquet in August every year. Uh, used to have it at Omar where they had about 700 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've moved it here closer into town uh, and had about 250 there this year. But it still did really well. Yeah. So. Are each of the uh, – is each branch sort of given – do they have the sort of leeway to put their efforts and maybe the funds they raise where where it's needed for them? Or is there like a national sort of thing? And the reason I ask is maybe in, in, in my head, perhaps a certain area of the state has a lot of people that spend a lot of time in deer management and it's understood there, but maybe they need more training. Right. Whereas somewhere on another side of town or other part of the state, they need just basic deer management awareness right like, can, can can branches sort of oh, yeah. put money they what can they need pick, to do what they want they, okay. they can pick what they want to do we have a list of things i mean they they can help with the department of natural resources mm-hmm. if they want to donate funds to them sure they can do youth hunts they can do military hunts they can do uh first time hunter okay. uh recruitment uh, they can do seminars on food plots. As a matter of fact, they were just talking about the South Carolina Prescribed Fire Council is wanting to have some more burn trailers, and we've supported them, helping them do a burn trailer okay. by donating funds for the burn trailer so that people can rent the trailer, okay, and then they can take it and do habitat work okay. with their own you know, property, just renting the trailer for like $100 for the weekend. Oh, that's, that's great. That's yeah. Like- that's one thing that we've noticed a lot is that people don't burn as much as they used to, and there's stuff that's taken over that's really ruined oh, yeah. a lot of the quality. Well, I mean, we we've, you know, we've we have we've talked to people who have property, and they manage property, and we talk to them about how they're managing whitetail, and you get into the conversation of the resources you need to do it properly, and it becomes a cost thing. Right. And something like being able to have access to a burn trailer for a weekend for a hundred bucks versus something else that might be more expensive is, might might be the little yeah, small I mean, the, bit of help that they yeah, need to make the a big drip torch by itself is probably $75. I mean, the last time I bought one, it was 7500 bucks. Yeah. So, so just the drip torch by itself, you could rent and have the, yeah. all the other tools that you need, backpack blowers, there's all kind of stuff that you have with the trailer. Sure. What's the, do you guys, we had, uh, and the, the, we're part of a hunt club and we had QDMA come out years ago and do like a survey. It was actually, um, I think it was, they were from NWTF. Oh, okay. Uh, they, they came out and did a, a survey of our property mm-hmm. and basically sort of said, hey, you know, you have 
here's the different types of habitat you have and here's some here's like a three-year plan and a five-year oh, yeah. plan yeah. for you know, you know i would look at cutting down maybe clear cutting this to allow some growth i would not touch this because right. it's clearly a, you know right. sort of uh a uh, safe space for them. Um, it was very interesting. I think it does India to accumulate. Do they do so- soil soil samples to help with uh, determining food plots? And maybe that no, was we usually kind of leave the soil samples to like Clemson and yeah. whoever else. Okay, but I forget. We, we do a lot of habitat type stuff, um, teaching people about you know how, you know like you're saying, leave this area alone, yeah. cut this down. Uh, hack and squirt, all kinds of different programs that we try to teach people. And, and that's one of the big things about quality deer management when it started. The, really, the first thing that we were trying to do is teach people to shoot does yeah. because people weren't, weren't scared to shoot the does. Right. So now it's more about, you know, herd managing the herd and then habitat improvement. And that's not just, like you said, that's not just food plots. No, yeah. That's, you know, managing the early successional habitat sure. or any of the other avenues that, that help with the herd capacity you know, right. as far as carrying capacity. So those types of things really make a big uh, impact with you know, your your deer herd and your habitat and yeah. just uh, the, the branches like we we're talking about going back a second. When, when we're dealing with a branch, uh, they can do a seminar on food plots. They can do. I've been to seminars of, of property tours, like you're talking about, where people say, "Hey, you know, we put this native grass here. We've left these trees up. Uh, we thinned these. We burned this. This is a clover food plot. You know, this is a summer food plot that we use." So, teaching people that you understand you have fall food plots, you have spring food plots, and you know everybody's thinking, well, you have a food plot in the fall, well, what are you doing for the deer the rest of the year? <laughs> yeah. you know, so you, if you don't have early successional habitat, and you're not doing enough to help either with a food plot, or if it's all pine trees, you don't have any space for them to... Yeah. Know, there's nothing they're not going to eat pine needles all year no so <laughs> you got to have something you got to cut something like you said yep if it's just all pine trees the hardwoods they're only there for about a month out of the season sure. maybe a month and a half so there's you know you got to have carrying capacity for the deer all year long right. not just going to show up yep. during the fun especially litter. if you want to keep them on your property right that's or, what i'm saying during the fall during the fall hunting season they're not just going to show up because you got a food plot right and i mean i've, I've assisted some people doing some consulting type stuff and I had a guy matter of fact he had about 250 acres had never property hadn't been touched never going to do a housing development and so he went in and I came up there and we took the the property and you know with the map and so forth and looked at it and he had a lot of old pines and so forth and had a few openings, uh, but you know, so we open here, open here, food plot here. Um, 
deer stand here, deer stand here, easy access in. Yeah. So we teach a lot of those things through like uh, we call a deer steward class. We have a deer steward one, we have a deer steward two, we have a deer steward three. Yep. It's, on my, it's on my <laughs> on my list of things to get us to get us into this year. We'd like to do the the, the first two at least. Right. We don't own a bunch of property mm-hmm. yet. Right. But you know that, that's one of the things we like to have. Uh, educate ourselves on so right so i mean there's a lot of different aspects and basically you know when everybody says well national deer association what is it well it's basically quality deer management association just changed their name still doing the same thing we were doing you know it's just new name new yeah. brand so forth okay. what's some top level uh looking down things about nda that a lot of people probably don't know other kinda, than what we've already discussed, <laughs> kind of hit me there. I don't know. I got to think about that one for a second. Um, so, like, if somebody wanted to, they didn't know that you guys provide this service or this ability or this knowledge or this class or there, there's something out there that, like, they look at NDA and they, well, like, we, I don't really know we, what they do. Well, that's another thing. See, like, we got magazines over there. I didn't even bring that one up, but they do four magazines a year. Uh, each magazine has uh, stuff about hunting as far as the knowledge of you know why did you place this tree stand here what was the purpose of that uh, there's uh, a, a section on advocacy like what are we doing as far as policies to help people like for Sunday hunting or whatever those yeah. types of things right right uh, we do herd help talking about uh, you know like CWD is a big issue in many parts of the United States it continues to spread sure and then last thing is this hunting heritage or our hunting in general, you know, like teaching people how to hunt. I mean, oh, yeah. I can't tell you how many people walk in here this weekend and they say, I'm looking for property to hunt or I'm learning, I'm trying to learn how to hunt. And we're trying to connect those people, you know, first of all, where are you from? Right, right. And then move from there so we can help them you know, get into the sport. I believe, I believe it may be a branch or a, or a regional thing up north, but I don't know, maybe you guys do them down here, but I believe it was QDMA or NDA that was doing it. It was a field to fork. Yes. Sort of that's where a, you, you, yes. you mentor someone. That's right. And, you, and they get their first take and then mm-hmm. take them the process of getting it all the way to their table. That's right. And uh, I think yeah, that's that, a big, that approach to teaching someone how to hunt is, I don't think there's a better way to do it for them yeah. for them to see everything that goes into preparing. Yes, and then and all the way to sitting down with a meal with the people that you care right. about, and, it's and that's something our, powerful. Our uh, hunting heritage coordinator Hank Forrester started that program several years ago, okay. and it's kind of taken off. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, when it hit the Wall Street Journal, <laughs> that was kind of like the bang this is this yeah. is this is hitting people they're understanding what this is about you know? and there's a lot of people like you say that yeah. that don't know how to hunt don't know what it's about and i don't know if you know but the way they the way they started it is they went to a uh, farmer's market and people were looking for locally grown food mm-hmm. and so forth so they went and said hey would you like to try deer meat as a matter of fact Last time we were here, which we weren't going to do it this year, but the last time we were here, we gave out samples of deer meat. Okay. And there were people that would, oh, yes, thank you. And there were people like, no, thank you. I mean, they would, I, I can, I will never forget one guy who took the toothpick, picked it up, and like, got it right here. It was like, uh-uh. Can't do it. He couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't eat it. It's so weird that people but, have that mental block over, yeah, over, yeah, a over piece of meat. meat so. Yeah. So anyway, he, uh, 
you know, but they gave people samples and so forth and said, hey, would you like to learn how to take this naturally grown product yeah, and put it on your table? Yeah. And there's a lot of people that were excited that you know, yeah. that was something they wanted to do. Did, do you know from a national level, did the organization notice an uptick in interest during the pandemic? Because I think a lot of people realized that, you know, supply chain shortages, you know, a lockdown, those being self-reliant and being able to take care of yourself and get some food on, on your family's table is a skill that I think a lot of people have. Uh, yeah. We had, matter yeah. of fact, we, there's a class called deer hunting 101, mm-hmm. which is very similar to the deer steward one in deer hunting 101. We had a, a uptake, like you said, mm-hmm. of deer hunting 101 classes and deer steward classes because people are sitting around they're like want to find something to do yeah, need something and to do. they yeah. can get online and they can take the class yeah yeah so it was an opportunity for them to learn if they didn't know about deer yeah and habitat right and all the different components of quality deer management and then then from there um, you know they can take that skill and get out into the woods and, right harvest their own and like you said once you know we've had I had a guy this year that did a, a, a field to fork and this was a really neat thing is he took the people to a deer processor okay. and let them actually see all the different cuts of meat and I was yeah, yeah. like you know as a deer hunter I've butchered deer before but to go to an actual deer processor and then they say all right we're going to cut the parts of the deer off and sure. the different parts of the deer I mean that would have been educational for anybody yeah. even a, a seasoned deer hunter yeah absolutely it's one of the best things I've ever done for my hunting career if you will is I uh, went and I worked at a pro- local processor here for an entire deer season mm. I mean I probably cleaned thousand deer yeah. you know <laughs> over, the, over the course of a, of a deer season right but learn how to scalp correctly and not get hair in the meat not get the meat tan how to hang it and let it drain and all this stuff to get the gamey taste out there's all the things that you most people don't know and then field dressing is pretty much a waste of time here yeah, that's right and uh, just it just makes the meat you potentially ruin a lot by field dressing that's right and yeah i think a, a lot of people that are into it they need to learn how to take care of it because we've been to public land here francis marion mm-hmm. and guys will hang a deer cut the shoulders off the back strap throw it in the gut pile and it's like dude you're missing a lot of meat oh, yeah. like, there's a ton of meat that's still on there that can be used for something right yeah and i think that i like that you guys are teaching people and showing them and you have the classes and we want to do the classes but is there a part of your class that shows the parts of a deer and how to d- properly take it apart because you can do most of it with a knife you don't even need as far as a video yeah, just in what? one of the classes well the deer steward classes i i I took the older portion. I've been wanting to take the newer portion of the deer steward class, but as far as the processing side of it, I don't think there is. That's a good point. It'd be a good need addition. to be. I was going to say it's something we probably need to to look towards trying to do something with that. For sure, just so people aren't wasting what they're taking. Yeah, because a deer will take you a long way if you if you get all the meat off of it. Mm-hmm. Oh Ooh. yeah. And there's, sure. there's cuts of meat that I think, like you mentioned, people turn their nose up to. You just got to know how to cook it. Like a lot of a lot of people will. You know, like you said, waste shoulders, but you slow cook, you slow cook well, it, and you season it right. Yeah, and, and, and there's even the magazine. I mean, there's people that eat the heart, the kidneys, oh, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, I've, had a little, bit, I've had the heart a little bit more than I would want, but uh, there <laughs> are people that do eat it. I don't know that I can, I mean, liver I would, I would taste so the kidney. The yeah. liver I've done, the heart yeah. I've done. 
I'm not a big liver fan of beef on cows or yeah, anything else. So, <laughs> not going there either. So you had some other things you wanted to bring up. Um, well, I mean, we can talk about quality deer management itself. Sure. sure. Uh, there are four, corner, four cornerstones of quality deer management is herd management, habitat management, hunter management, and then herd monitoring. And then as far as going into the detail of those, uh, herd manager, herd management is basically managing the population. And that's what we talked about, where people were uh, not shooting does many years ago. Right. And it was a small deer herd, you know, the herd had to come back and so forth. Mm-hmm. But understanding to manage the herd properly where your ratios of buck to does is one to three or one to two would be awesome. Mm. But if you can get it to one to three, that would be in, in the wild. That's that's really good. And, yeah. and, and the way you learn that is another thing is called herd monitoring where you're doing camera surveys and you're doing observations as hunting while you're hunting. Like when I go hunting, I have a little it's actually quality deer management. We used to produce them, and I guess they're still being made. But it's a little folder, and it's about a little bit bigger, bigger than a checkbook, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you it's got a spiral on it, and you just flip it over, and it's got the number of hours you sat, the stand you sat in, the time, you know, like it was an afternoon or evening, and then what you saw. And we do it based on quality deer, uh, you know, just regular bucks or does or fawns or other because you may not have seen what it was you might saw part of the deer but you didn't see the whole deer so you don't know if it was buck or doe or fawn or what so so you categorize that so if I'm sitting in a stand and I go hunting I take that in it's in my little pack and then I'll after I either that day after after I hunt or the next time I go hunting, and I'll even keep up with the wind direction, the mm-hmm. temperature, all those types oh, of yeah. things, so that I would say, all right, I'm sitting at this stand, and the wind was blowing out the north, it was 41 degrees, and I saw six deer, or I saw two deer, yeah. or whatever, or zero deer. And then out of those six deer, what were they? Well, there were two bucks and four does. Well, that's a pretty good ratio. Well, right. you keep that all year long, and that's what you're seeing. Yeah. Then that's that's a good, you excellent get enough data points. You can exactly. really get an idea. Yeah. Of what and your then the same concept like. when you harvest the deer. I mean, you're getting the weight and the you know if you do it the deer antlers and the jawbone. And I mean, you can go on. I mean, you can really, really get deep dive down into the actual monitoring of the yeah. deer and, and you know. places that do serious quality exactly. management they, they take that information and right. they look at how the, healthy are the deer that's right you know how's the bone growth that's all right. those the things fat that there's fat. actually fat on the liver and there's all kinds of things you can weigh right to determine how healthy the deer and make is. adjustments to what we were talking about earlier in terms of what you need to do with your habitat oh, what yeah. you need to plant right. to, to help yeah yeah fascinating and, and, and so then like you're saying, all right, if the deer aren't healthy, then, then you go back to the habitat management side of quality deer management, where you're saying, all right, well, if you got a fall food plot, but you don't have a spring food plot, what are you doing for the deer? You don't have any other successional habitat. What are you doing between now or you know, 
say February or March when the oats and the wheat that you had planted are going to die off. Right. And then until August of next year, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. When do deer grow their antlers? I mean, that's a big question. The one one time of the year that everybody neglects. That's right. Everybody wants to give them food, but then everybody wants to And then the same concept, if your does don't have the proper nutrition to produce the right milk for the fawns, Mm -hmm. then that fawn's not going to be healthy. And and then you start going into a lot more detail uh, about you know, well, I want to grow a big buck. Well, you better have a nice, healthy doe to go with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, if the does aren't healthy, you know, you're already, you're down 50% already. Yeah. Yeah. It takes two to tango, as they right. used to say, you know, so. I believe, st- and I can't remember where I heard it from, but there was a, a study that, that was done on, on fawns and, and the, the doe that, you know, produced them. And it's like, well over 50% of the fawn's uh, health and like survival rate comes from the health of the mother. Exactly. There's obviously the, you gotta have the buck to help make it, but the mom's health and and how she, uh, how many successful fawns she's had previously somehow plays a huge role. Even to the point of whether she has one fawn or up to three fawns, Mm -hmm. you know, that all depends on her health and whether or not she's able to support that and if she can't you know it's you know most deer those are gonna usually have two fawns right a healthy one could have three and then i mean out of those three how many are going to make it when you start talking about again habitat management are you doing anything for the coyotes and all the other problems that you have on the property where you're trying to keep the deer healthy but you have a place for them to hide when there is an issue that's right you know, so i mean quality deer management goes on and on and on and then the last part of it which we really haven't talked about much is the hunter side of it mm-hmm. because you have as a person to be have to be educated to know what deer are you going to shoot for right? sure are you going to shoot the doe are you going to shoot the young buck or the old buck you know, everybody talks about coal bucks and so forth, and we can go on and on <laughs> talking about all that sure. kind of stuff. But just understanding that there are, you know, different hierarchies within the doe population. Right. You know, and there's different doe populations, like different doe families. You know, I, I was hunting, and that's one thing that I think people really don't understand. If you do quality deer management, you get to see so many more things in the woods than if you just see the first deer and you shoot it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there are many times that I have gone hunting and I sat there and watched the deer and I go, well, I could shoot that deer. It's 3.30 or it's 4 o'clock and I could just pack up and go home. <laughs> and I go, eh, I think I'm going to sit a little while longer and let it walk. Yeah. And then the things that you get to see in the woods and not just deer related, sure. you know, but everything. Uh, it's it's amazing, you know, and that's one of the things that I've seen from not shooting a doe earlier. I think they let a quail out. Yeah. It's a dog, bird dogs are losing uh, their minds. Uh, so anyway, when, when you don't shoot that doe, yeah. when you go back and you say, all right, I'm going to... I guess you get that out. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I was going to say. We're, we're, we're going to talk through it. It, it yeah, is okay. what it is, yeah. yeah. All right. So anyway, we're, 
I'm sitting there one time. It was late December. There was a doe and a fawn, and I'm sitting there watching her. And I was like, nah, I'm going to let her pass. And I watched her, and she worked away. It came over to this food plot, and they came out there, and they started eating in the food plot. And about maybe 20 or 30 minutes later, here comes another group of does and fawns, and they ran them off the deer food plot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because it was a whole different family. Yeah. And there were like four or five of them, and it was two of the others. I never considered that, really. Some of that footage that I got when we were in Kentucky, I think, was exactly that. So there was a... There was a doe that came in with two fawns, another mature doe that came in with a, uh, a young buck that was following her. And this was September, so maybe she, he wasn't following her, but they were definitely cruising together. And that that older doe with the two fawns spent a good 20 minutes chasing those other deer. Uh, anytime they got close, mm-hmm. that, that doe would stomp and, and run the other ones off. Even that buck did not want anything to do with that deer. Yeah. Um, Stood up. She was stood up on her, her hind legs and was it, just giving them hell. Yeah, we got a lot of footage of it. Actually, I, I considered it just being does playing, but that makes a lot more sense that they're probably rival families. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I didn't think about and, that. And and another thing, see, when you go back to habitat management, what you can do, which I don't have the the mass of property to be able to do this, but you can take that food plot and you can split it into halves or quarters mm-hmm. or whatever. And you could have some corn or something. So you have a food plot and you have some corn in the food plot or you have some kind of native grass or something tall to screen that area. And then you have another food plot and then you screen that area. And that buck's got to go and check that food plot and then go check that food plot and then come check this food plot because he can't just glass out there. Sorry. He can't just glass out there, just kind of look. Like if this table was the actual food plot, he can just stand back here in the edge of the woods and go, I don't yeah. see anything I really want out there right now. And, and that edge cover and, exactly. also gives them more cover so they feel safer. They feel it's safer to come out. to keep checking. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's smart. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot. I mean, if you really get down to the science of deer hunting, there's mm-hmm. a lot of neat stuff that people continue to find and research. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, just like whether or not deer like white oaks versus red oaks and when do they like them <laughs> yeah. and when will they eat them sure. I mean there's just all kinds of data out there yeah. you know there's the new thing that you know everybody started planting brassicas I hear that a lot and yeah. some I, I've actually did a consultation with one one guy one time and I said well you, you know if you want to plant some brassicas and you know get some other food out there besides just oat and weeks and so forth yeah and after i said it two or three times he said oh what is a brassica <laughs> you know and i was like well that's wheat uh that's kale and rape and so forth but right different types of cruciferous type vegetables or whatever you want to say like yeah, yeah. not broccoli but yeah yeah like radish leaf, leafy, and yeah, yeah all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yep. kale all those types right turnips and on and on and on so you know just adding that mix you know if you just got like again this table if it's just wheat then that deer is going to come out and not eat it every day right just like we're humans we don't want to eat chinese or kentucky fried chicken or whatever every single chick-fil-a whatever it is you're you're changing up (laughs) your your diet they're doing the same thing i mean so 
I mean, they might eat soybeans a lot because it's a big, healthy proponent, but they're still going to, on the way to eating soybeans, they're eating other things Absolutely. all the way. And you put all that mix of stuff in one field, they might stick around that field longer. Oh, yeah. You got clover in there. You got brassicas. You got the oats, the wheat. And there's winter peas. I mean, there's all, I mean, we could go on another whole podcast about the different <laughs> yeah, foods sure. that there are as far as options for uh, people, food plots. Uh, one thing I see down here, and, and I think maybe it comes with uh, states that allow baiting, is that people just – you could throw a stand somewhere and, th- and throw corn out there, and deer are going to come. And they they may eventually, right. but you got to have deer in the area to begin with to come yeah. to the corn you throw right. out. And uh, you know, doing those things that, that we're talking about to keep deer interested in the area that you want them to be, but they're also healthy, uh, both individually and as a herd. Uh, I, I think it, it just doesn't get the attention it deserves if, if we, as a hunting community, are going to continue keeping whitetails healthy and you know, well, for and years to come. A, that's a good point because. When you start feeding corn, and this is kind of the thing, people, you know, they'll feed corn from August to December or mm-hmm. whatever months it is when they're hunting, and then they quit. And that's not necessarily good for the deer because they're rumen and stomach and so forth, all those chambers, four yeah. different chambers. We don't get in all that, but there's those, they're not made to eat corn, basically. And like the ladies, like, she was from Buford Hillhead lady came by yesterday. She's like, can I feed my deer corn? I said, well, if they're not eating corn, it's not really healthy for them to just start eating corn. It, it can kill them, actually. Really? Know? Yeah. So Didn't know that. So there's, you know, their stomachs can't make the bacteria sometimes to break that, to break down. that down. Interesting. Yeah. And they would basically die the full stomach. But that's a, we, a lot of the working in that processing plant a lot of times you would get them and they would just be packed up caked with corn and, and it's probably what it was they just they had too much of it they were because yeah, uh, i always thought that was interesting they didn't really look digested or even partially digested right. it just looks like chewed up corn just yeah. sitting in there mm-hmm. yeah. well i mean that's they got again the four chambers if you take the deer steward classes and deer steward as a matter of fact when i took the deer steward two class uh, Joe Hamilton took a deer and took all the four different chambers of the stomach and showed them to us, cut them open and showed the different textures oh, and so forth. It, I mean, just it's amazing, an amazing animal that what it is it does. Yeah. Uh, there's all kind of bacteria in and uh, little microbes that are in there throat and I mean this is all kinds of stuff that you don't even realize that you actually just break it down yeah now we have to take this class I know I was <laughs> the uh, I was this was going to ask the deer steward two class is only done in person right that's right but you have to have the first one to go that's right yeah so yeah. the first one we can do online okay and then uh, we'd have to schedule just like we did for the we're going to uh, if there was a whiskey version of that class yeah. uh, or a bourbon version, we're going to that in a it's couple months. Where called the Executive Bourbon Steward is what it's called. Oh yeah, <laughs> I like similar. it. So uh, you you call it level level two. We're going right. to call it the Executive Deer Steward Program. I got you. <laughs> I like it. But yeah, we'd like to do do that as well because it yeah. sounds like a really interesting program. Yeah. And then and and we didn't even get into the Deer Steward on the Deer Steward three. It is more of a self paced class that you take based on what you have done from deer steward one or two right so like just as a general thing if you're doing 
a presentation or you do articles or you've planted trees or you've done a food plot or you've done a burn, mm -hmm. all those give you points right. towards your Deer Steward 3 certification. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Is there a way for someone who uh, is just kind of curious if can someone reach out to a branch to look for opportunities to help with that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. If, if they oh, yeah. To, okay. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And then, you know, like if if it's a forester and they want to come in and they do a presentation on, you know, timber, mm -hmm. selections of timber and what to cut and when and yeah. why and all that, and they do a presentation for a branch, you know, that would be considered a, I mean, I've actually, in years past, we used to have seminars in this tent next to ours, and we had presentations on I mean, you name it. Oh, I remember those. It was, Deer, it was yeah. a smaller tent. Than yeah, this. it was the yeah. same 20 by 20 oh, was tent. It? it was right beside. Oh, I guess it probably felt smaller because there yeah. were chairs and everything. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But we had stuff on prescribed fire. We had stuff on timber. We had stuff on coyote or just trapping in general. Yep. We had classes on aging deer. Uh, we did one on field of fork. Uh, we've done them on tree stand safety. So we've done a lot of different classes over the years. We haven't done, we didn't do them this year. It's kind of, we didn't know what to expect. So Sure. But yeah, we, I don't think anybody knew what to expect back here this it's, year. It's, it's pretty. It's a lot of people here. I see yeah. the, the beer line finally went down. Maybe <laughs> yeah, that beer line was wrapped all around they, the back If they there. had a whiskey line, what would it be like? It's, it's wide open. It's right here. Uh, I got you. <laughs> Well, um, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, is there is uh, where can people find information about NDA and what you guys are doing if they want to know? Well, uh, don't look up NDA because NDA gives you the non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, deerassociation.com. Okay. Okay. Um, it, and if you do QDMA, Quality Deer Management Association, it will transfer It'll you take to you there. the Deer Association. Okay. Deerassociation.com is the new web page cool. and you guys uh, for social media stuff are you guys is it based on does each branch have their yeah, own thing some okay. branches have social media not all okay. uh, there is again NDA has their own uh, social media expert right. and he does Facebook Twitter Instagram gotcha. all that type of stuff so okay. you can find it on there as well very cool well thanks again for coming on appreciate yeah, it yeah, Maybe appreciate thanks for having me wrap this up and We'll see if there's something over there you want to sit on a little bit. <laughs> we can do this again sometime in the studio. We can do more long form. And yeah. yeah, we can go with some of those topics you talked yeah. about not, not getting too much into. We can sit in a nice air-conditioned studio with no yeah, background noise. It's pretty nice out here. It, it's, yeah, it's today nice. it is nice. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can go a little bit more down the rabbit hole on some of those yeah. topics yeah. if you'd like to. We'd love yeah. to. So, yeah, thanks again. And uh, All right. talk to yeah. you soon. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.